Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host, and today on the show, we're going to be talking about Social Security, how it works, what it's supposed to do, what it's not supposed to do, and some of the troubles that the system is facing. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast, where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals, whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host... Alrighty, everyone, and as I'm sure you could tell from the title of today's episode, we're going to be talking about the U.S.'s largest entitlement program, which makes up approximately a fourth of the U.S. federal budget and is the single biggest expense of the federal government. And that is, of course, Social Security. But what is it? I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there as far as what Social Security is, what is it supposed to do, and there's a lot of times on Facebook where I'll see people sharing stuff that... Social Security is in a lot of trouble or Social Security is not in trouble or there's just a lot of misinformation out there. And I'm hoping that with this episode and a follow-up episode that's scheduled for next week that I will be able to clear up some of this for you so that you can be a little bit more knowledgeable so that when you see this kind of nonsense on Facebook or even some media outlets that share this stuff, that you'll be able to see this and be able to intelligently look at it and know whether or not it's legitimate. Let's go ahead and start with the basics. Social Security is a pay-as-you-go system in which current workers pay for current beneficiaries out of payroll taxes. Now, one of the biggest bits of misinformation I see is that Social Security is not in trouble because, quote, they forgot to account for the accounts for people who have died. Because those people have died, that's extra money that be able to go places, and they're able to take care of it that way. Now, I kind of got outside of the quote there, but you get what I'm saying. There are no individual accounts. There is no account somewhere within the Social Security Administration where they keep track of Susan B. Anthony put in $10,000 in 2006, so she's good for $10,000 when she retires at 65. That's not how this works. Now, they do track your income so they can figure out how much you're entitled to at retirement, but there is no, you paid this much into Social Security, so you're going to get that much out with interest at age 65. That is not how the program works. There are no individual accounts. There's just a really large trust fund. Current workers are paying for current beneficiaries. A lot of times there is no holding period. Now, if the program makes more money than it pays out, then it goes into a trust fund just in case there's an imbalance in future years. But there is no, they're tracking your money, taking your money and putting it into an account with your name on it. And then when you retire, you start getting that money back. That is not how this works. As far as the actual mechanics of how Social Security works, what happens is you have every worker in America gets charged approximately 12% tax, which is split between the employer and the employee. So if you work a W-2 job, you're only seeing about 6.2% come out of your check, and your employer makes up the other 6.2%. That money gets pulled out of each check, sent straight to the Social Security Administration. They sit there and collect the money for a month, And then at the first of the next month, all that money they've collected gets distributed out to retirees, people on disability, Medicare, Medicaid, all that good stuff. So in actuality, you're paying that tax as you get paychecks. It goes straight to the Social Security Administration. They take it, put it all in one big fund, take that fund, and issue it as checks the following month. 
So there's not a lot of taking that money and putting it in a savings account. The only time that happens is when more money is paid into the fund than what needs to be sent out to retirees or people on disability. When that happens, the money gets put into the Social Security Trust Fund, which you can think of as just a big savings account. So that in the future, if there's a shortfall as far as money received versus money paid out, the money can be pulled from that trust fund or from that savings account and be paid out at a later date. Now that we have that out of the way, why do we have Social Security? Well, Social Security was passed in 1935, and back then it was determined that people were having a really hard time saving for their own security, whether that be providing food on the table, not getting kicked out of your house or your home, or even getting your medical expenses taken care of. Because of that, the government decided to step in and assist with that. And a program was established to where the younger generation who would need this less and that were still working and being able to provide for themselves would pay a small tax, it would get aggregated and pay out to the seniors to ensure that we don't have a lot of elderly people starving, getting kicked out of their homes, living on the streets. It was looked at that these elderly were having a harder time because once you hit age 65 in 1935, you really weren't working. The working conditions back then were rough. So once you hit that age, and health wasn't the same thing back then, there weren't a lot of people living into their 80s in 1935. So the people who were 65 or older were seen as having a really hard time because you couldn't really hold down a job. And if you didn't have a job and you didn't have savings, which was really hard because keep in mind the Great Depression was within a decade beforehand, that the government was going to assist people in taking care of them in their older years. Now, they weren't intending to take care of them 100%. It was only supposed to be a portion. In doing research for this episode, I actually came across a quote from Franklin Roosevelt on why he signed the Social Security Act. Now, this is a quote taken from August 14th, 1935. Quote, Because it has become increasingly difficult for individuals to build their own security single-handed, government must now step in and help them lay the foundation stones. The Act does not offer anyone, either individually or collectively, an easy life, nor was it ever intended to do so. None of the sums of money paid out to individuals in assistance or in insurance will spell anything approaching abundance, but they will furnish that minimum necessity to keep a foothold, and that is the kind of protection Americans want. End quote. Now, those are some powerful words from the president at the time when he signed this. So, Social Security was never intended to be the single thing that you live off of. In fact, Social Security is designed, and is still calculated today, to only replace about 40% of your pre-retirement income. Now, the reason for that is something that is known as the three-legged stool theory, or the three-legged stool metaphor. The idea being that for a proper financial foundation in retirement, you would need money from three places, Social Security, private pensions, and personal savings. Now, of course, today we almost laugh at the idea of private pensions as really the only pensions that are around nowadays are public pensions, either from being a police officer, firefighter, teacher, etc., etc. So financial experts back then and today believe that you need to retire on between 70 and 80% of your pre-retirement income in order to live comfortably in retirement. And the reason for this is that it's recommended that you save 20%. So in your working years, ideally, you're only living off of 80% of your income while you're saving 20. Well, in retirement, you don't really need to be saving because you're drawing down on your savings. So because of that, you only need 80% because that's all you've ever really lived off of. 
again, assuming that you're saving properly. So the thought process is that you make 100% of your income throughout your life. You're putting aside 20% of that for retirement. Therefore, in retirement, you only need 80% of your pre-retirement income. The math is based off of you only need 80% of your income, and the government will take care of half. So Social Security will pay you 40%, but your other 40% needs to come from either a private pension or your personal savings. Of course, if you're not going to have a pension, that means that 50% of your post-retirement income is going to come from Social Security and the other 50% from your personal savings. Now, to further illustrate that Social Security was never intended to take care of all of your needs, I want to read you a quote from a gentleman by the name of Reinhard Hohaus. He gave a speech at the 37th annual meeting of the American Life Convention, which is just an insurance convention in Chicago, in 1942. So keep in mind this is seven years after the act was passed. Quote, A social insurance system does not and need not undertake to furnish complete protection to all whom is covered under all circumstances. The social insurance approach is to assure that the benefits will provide a minimum protection, leaving it to the individuals the responsibility of buying additional protection from private sources through their private means, end quote. So keep in mind, Mr. Hohouse was an insurance guy giving a speech at an insurance convention. So what I assume he means by buying additional protection from private sources, I assume he's talking about purchasing an annuity through an insurance company. Personally, I don't recommend it for reasons I'll go into in a future episode, but what he's talking about is purchasing a monthly income from an insurance company. So don't get hung up too much on the individual words there. The point he's trying to make is that Social Security is never supposed to provide 100% of your income, and that about half of your retirement income is your own responsibility. It's not their job to cover you for everything. You need to take some responsibility for it, is the subtext of what he's saying here. So we end up with the three-legged stool theory. One of our legs is already gone. A lot of people aren't going to have access to pensions, so I'm really not going to talk about that. So what we're looking at is personal savings and Social Security providing 50% each of your retirement. But Social Security is only going to replace 40% of your income. If you're used to making $50,000 a year, then Social Security is only going to provide you $20,000 a year in post-retirement income. And unless you can retire off of $20,000 a year, you're going to have a hard time. The next question you might ask is, how do they calculate what that 40% number is? Well, what they do is, there's a very complicated formula that the Social Security Administration uses to figure out how much you get. But boiling it down to really simple terms, basically what they do is they take your top 35 highest earning years that you paid into Social Security, and they average that out. Now, that's an oversimplification. The calculation is a lot crazier than that. But in general, your top 35 highest earning years, they're going to take that, aggregate it, and say, okay, on average, you made X amount per year, so we're going to give you 40% of that. Now, that's not even going to be a fixed number, even at that calculation, because what also figures into it is when you decide to claim Social Security. Now, you're going to get that 40% if you claim benefits at your full retirement age. Now, full retirement age varies depending on what year you were born in, but the biggest category is people born after 1960. So if you were born after 1960, your full retirement age is age 67. So if you claim benefits at 67, you get that 40% number paid out to you monthly, 
based off of your top 35 highest earning years. Now, you can claim Social Security at various times. You can start at about 62 and all the way through 70. Now, how it works is if you claim benefits before your full retirement age. So most of my audience was probably born after 1960. So from here on out, I'm going to refer to full retirement age as 67. So if you begin claiming benefits at age 62, the earlier you start claiming benefits, the less money you receive per month. And the reason for that is you're not at your full retirement. So because they're paying you over a longer period, you're going to get a smaller monthly payment. Alternatively, if you wait until after your full retirement age, you can claim more money per month. And the reason for that is the same. Because you went a couple years without receiving your benefits, you get a better benefit because they sort of have to catch you up. Not so much catch you up, but it's kind of a reward for waiting. Much like anything we talk about in investments, the longer you wait to receive a benefit, the more interest you gain, therefore a higher return. That works with Social Security too. Now, the maximum amount you can do this is age 70. So if your full retirement age is 67, I pulled this quote from the Social Security website that every year you wait, you get approximately an 8% increase in benefits. So because full retirement age for most of my audience is going to be 67, you can wait an additional three years and your benefit will go up 8% per year. Using some very crude math based off of that quote, let's say you made $50,000 a year and that was your average over the 35 years. You made $50,000 a year. Social Security only replaces 40% of that. So Social Security will give you $20,000 a year or about $1,667 per month. So using that quote that you get an additional 8% per year, if you retire at age 67, you get $1,667 per month. If you wait one year and claim it at age 68, your benefit grows from $1,667 to $1,800 per month. So your benefit goes up by about $140 a month if you wait a year. So what if you go to the maximum age of 70? After age 70, you could still wait if you want, but you're not going to get an increased benefit if you wait. So let's assume that you wait until age 70. Well, if you wait till age 70, this is rounded to the nearest dollar, you would get approximately $2,100 per month. So if you claim it at 67, you get $1,667 per month. If you wait until age 70, you get $2,100 per month. Now again, this is very rough math. I do not know their exact equation. I'm just using some information that they gave, which is in broad terms on their website. So don't quote me on this. We now know what Social Security is, how it works, and what it's supposed to do. It's only supposed to replace 40% of your pre-retirement income. But here's another quote that I find rather disturbing, but I guess a lot of us already knew, but didn't have the numbers to back it up. From the Social Security website, quote, Social Security provides about half of elderly Americans with at least 50% of their income, and one in five with 90% of their income, end quote. And that's from a Social Security press release. So half of elderly Americans get at least half of their income from Social Security, which is fine. That's exactly what this was designed to do. You needed 80% of your pre-retirement income to live comfortably in retirement. 40% of that is supposed to be Social Security, which is about half. So that's perfectly fine. Social Security is supposed to be covering half. But in one in five cases, so 20% of elderly Americans get at least 90% of their income from Social Security. Now, some would say that's a failure of the government, that they're not paying enough, but 
The program was designed in 1935 to only cover 40%. And for 20% of elderly Americans, it's actually covering 90%. Personally, I think that just shows the failure of American education to really teach people finances so that they could save for retirement. Now, of course, that's not the case for everybody. I understand that individual life circumstances happen, but 20% of people retiring in America are living off of basically 40% of what they lived on, and that could be a problem. And that's not how this should be. People should be able to retire and be more comfortable. But I digress. The last thing I really want to talk about here is what kinds of problems are we looking at with Social Security? Well, if you've been on the news for the last couple of years, occasionally there's an article that comes out that basically says Social Security is going to run out of money at insert date here. So I went and I looked at the 2020 annual review of Social Security. Now, this is a report that is published annually by the trustees of the Social Security Administration. And what they say, basically, is that starting next year, in 2021, the amount of income that Social Security receives, and that's the money that comes out of payroll taxes, the amount of income they receive is going to be less than the amount that Social Security is going to pay out to retirees and people on disability. What that means is they need to start withdrawing the difference from the Social Security Trust Fund. And as anyone that does any kind of budgeting will tell you, if your expenses are greater than your income and you can't take out debt, where that money has to come from is savings. And that's all the Social Security Trust Fund is. It's a savings account. Starting next year, expenses are going to be greater than income. And it is expected that over the next 15 years, that is not going to change. Expenses are going to continue to be higher than income. And every year, there's going to be less and less money in the trust fund because they have to keep withdrawing money to pay out benefits. So as of the latest report, the Social Security Trust Fund is going to run out of money in 2035. There are a lot of potential solutions, but really it's become a political debate. You can obviously raise taxes, you can reduce benefits, you can push back the date that people can start to claim benefits. There's a lot of ways to potentially fix it, but a lot of them are very painful and someone's going to suffer in some way. Either the younger generations are going to have to pay more in taxes to support it, or the older generations are going to suffer by getting less benefits or having to wait to receive their benefits. Typically, those are the two biggest things that are talked about. And I don't really want to get into that this week. What I did was I went ahead and I made an episode with Jared from J-Rod Money. And we talked about the problem of Social Security. We went over the potential solutions. We did some math. That's actually going to be a video interview that is going to come out next Tuesday. If you're used to listening to the podcast, that is perfectly fine. I verbalize everything I'm showing on the screen. But if you're someone who likes to actually see the numbers and see it make sense in front of you, I do have a screen recording where I'm showing all the math, a couple quotes from the 2020 report. Looking back at it, it is a very well-made episode. It's very informative. And I fully go into the problem that Social Security is facing and exactly what needs to happen to fix it. So this episode was just to introduce Social Security, what it is, how it works, the mechanics of it, and introduce the problem that it's facing. Because this is a problem that needs to be faced sometime in the next 15 years before this trust fund runs out. Because if the trust fund runs out, what automatically has to happen is whoever is receiving benefits at the time the trust fund runs out, everybody, whether it's from disability or retirement income, all of them are going to have their benefits slashed so that the budget balances. So it is a problem. It's something we're going to have to face in the upcoming years. 
it's all a matter of time. Do we let the trust fund run out and then try to fix it then? Or is it going to attempt to be fixed sometime in the next five, 10 years? I think it's going to be the latter. Alrighty, and with that, we're going to go ahead and end the show. Be sure to check out next week's episode where Jared from J-Rod Money and I go deeper into the problems facing Social Security and detail several potential solutions to secure Social Security for the foreseeable future. The YouTube channel has had several new uploads lately, including how to read the fund summaries that you are given with the offerings in your workplace retirement plans. Now, if you're getting value out of the show and you believe that I deserve it, don't forget to leave a review of the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. In most cases, you can just select the number of stars without having to even type anything. It very much helps out the show, and I really appreciate it. As always, thank you for your support, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.